0: Part-time fanboy. Part-time fanboy doing my thing. More powerful than a locomotive. Well, shall we begin our conversation, sir? Yeah, man, I'm stoked. I'm excited. All right, I'm glad. I'm glad you're excited. I'm excited that you're excited. Uh, Let's just start off by saying that this is a part-time fanboy podcast. My name, as always, is Christian Horn. Still, kind of recovering from a little bit of a sinus infection that I caught over the holidays. It was a bummer. Maybe you can hear it in my voice. I'm a little sounding a little congested but let's not dwell on that. Let's uh, welcome our guest. You're our first interview of 2023, sir. I'm very excited. Ah, let's go. <laughs> very excited. Awesome. All right, I shall mention your name. Your name is Trevor Fernandez Lenkevich, right? Yeah. It, I listened to our last interview. I listened to it. <laughs> I listened to it. I did my homework. I do my homework sometimes for this podcast. <laughs> your name is Trevor Fernandez Lenkevich, and you are the creator behind Area 51, the Helix Project, correct? Yes, sir. So far, so good. Um, You were on our podcast back in June, late June of 2022. It is now January of 2023.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, I'm happy to have you back on. Dude, I'm grateful to be here and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, letting the good times roll. <laughs>
0: good, good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you're such an optimist. The good way to start the new year. Um, uh, you can hear me okay because the last podcast I did... Um, the microphone array switched over and I sounded like I was like on the other side of the room, which um, I have not uploaded that, but you can hear me correctly, right? I sound good? Yeah, yeah. All right, Your audio awesome, except for, my, except for my a little bit of congestion. So um, Area 51, the Helix Project, we are here to talk about that. Um, so you've got a Kickstarter coming up. It's, it hasn't launched yet,
1: right? Yeah, so uh, the Kickstarter launches Monday, January 16th. Oh, nice. Uh, however... depending Um, on when this drops. yeah, There is a pre-launch page available for people to follow if they so choose.
0: Sure. Sure. So this will probably go up next Wednesday. We are recording, what is it? Thursday evening on the, uh, yeah. And uh, it is January 12th, Thursday evening. So this will be up next Wednesday. So your Kickstarter will be up for a couple of days. So you should go to Kickstarter hunt down area 51, the Helix project, and this will be issue six, correct? Yeah, the final the issue final in the issue. Dun dun dun! I just reread issue five before we got on. That was a very intense read. I forgot it's been a while since I I took a look at it. But I was like, oh wow, this this uh, this was very violent and very uh, heavy heavy stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely something. That issue is, I think, the one. I mean, we're always working towards the finale, but that one was, I think. Like that moment where you get to the top of the mountain, and so it was really, <laughs> yeah. really pivotal uh, for us going into it, and and making sure that we don't pull our punches, because I think the worst, you know, the 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 sort of assimilation uh, of violence in this story was something that was kind of slowly building as the series went on, because in in you know the first issue. And most of the second, it's really not all that violent. Um, mm, yeah. And for for me, it was sort of important thematically um, to begin to really dig into the consequences of cruelty and 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 that being reciprocated violence. You know.
0: Yeah. 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 No. That. I mean. That's the sort of thing that I noticed that there was a lot of. Um, I mean, I say violent, and that's just too like easy sort of like a term, you know, to describe like what happened in the issue. I mean, there is violence in it, but the, you know, comic comics are violent sometimes, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and so, I mean, but it is a very, a bit of a heavy issue too, because there is, it does address abuse. It does address like things like that and, and sort of like heavier subjects. And, and it was interesting to me because, um, You know, one of the things we talked about in our last interview was kind of like your love for comics and um, part of kind of what inspired you was like Superman. We talked a lot about that and we talked a lot about, um, a little bit about Watchmen. Um, Your publishing company is called Pocket Watch Press, right? Which is a bit of a tribute to kind of like Dr. Manhattan's origin a little bit, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So... Um yeah I mean Superman comics aren't but I mean I think you started off by telling me that you kind of like started off as a Batman fan a bit of a Batman fan so it's interesting because your main character's name is uh Kent I almost said Trent it's Kent <laughs> um, um and uh a, a little bit sort of like influenced by the Superman mythos in in like a very sort of tangential way but you started off as a Batman fan and so the series starts off uh, from what I remember, like a very sci-fi kind of bent and, and like discovering like that this character is not necessarily of this earth or, or our genetics, but it goes into like some very heavy places. Can you talk, was that like always the plan for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wanted to, to really escalate the personal stakes, um, because that's what, that's always what's most important for sure. me, story-wise Um, I mean, I, I love reading those authors and writers and artists that build these massive immersive worlds with like these, these societies that have like depth, um, beyond what most people could even like begin to process. But, um, for me, it's always just been about how do we, how do we really play on the, the personal and emotional stakes of the story and that type of tension. So, um, you know, it always it was this story was always going to kind of come to a head with, like I'd mentioned earlier, playing on the violence that is that is begotten from cruelty. Um And, you know, when I pitch the story, I always talk about the idea of Kent having to face this twisted ghost from his past uh, that challenges everything he knows about what it means to be human. Mm. Um and, it, and that had to be the greatest challenge, like greater than um you know the the military colonel spoilers um who is who is generally the villain of our story, and he's a villain in a much greater way because he creates that twisted ghost for Kent to mm. to tackle so yeah, I, I I mean, the story has always sort of been building toward that, um and this idea that you know, sometimes the product, um uh, let's i guess i guess we could say sometimes the product of cruelty is is a greater monster than the person that or the thing that that enacted it to begin with yeah
0: yeah you know, uh before we go any further though let's talk about what it is because maybe people listening to this particular interview haven't discovered the previous interview which you can find on parttimefanboy.com uh iTunes you know Stitcher blah 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 Google Podcasts uh all that Spotify um But I mean what is area 51 the helix project because we kind of just jumped into it because you and i are familiar with each other we're facebook friends even though i'm kind of trying to stay off of like social media and i i dropped twitter uh but you know we i we kind of can see what each other is up to a little bit but you know people who are might be listening to this for the first time they might be like what is this so so give us the elevator pitch once again on what is area 51 the helix project
1: Oh, well, in good news, the elevator pitch has sufficiently been shortened. Which is great. <laughs> I remember last wow. time I, I re-listened to the interview, and you're like, "That took a long time to like
0: yeah. develop and like make it very succinct." So go ahead; it's gotten better. You've polished it up even
1: more. Well, it's it's gotten tighter. Uh, so nice. I don't know. Some some people like the to play the long game, and that's cool. <laughs> that's fine. Sometimes I time. realize sometimes I realize that maybe people aren't going to. Uh, Uh, be as into the explanation i guess as i am sure Um, so first of all for anyone listening you should go check out that interview because it was a great time and you get to be uh, right smack dab in the middle of um uh uh, an episode of boats uh moats trains and planes as i was trying to escape charlotte from a convention so that's a good time um wait what was that what did you just say you should go what check out what the the previous uh podcast because okay yeah 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 we had um we had uh i we had conducted that while i was in a hotel because they had that's right
0: Charlotte. that's right that's right that's right you were walking that that was the one thing the visual cue that came up for me when you were walking around your hotel and there was somebody in the background okay okay go on go on so let's
1: do the elevator pitch yeah do it do it yeah yeah man so area 51 the helix project is a sci-fi thriller uh, about a child from two worlds who's forced to excavate the trauma of his past When a mysterious figure puts his father's murder into question and now this sends him spiraling into the jaw of this massive cold war genetics conspiracy and ultimately forces him to face a twisted ghost from his past that plunges a dagger into everything he knows about himself and ultimately what it means to be human so uh while it is a sci-fi story about a a shape-shifting alien um it is also super personal and very human uh a, a story about identity and reconciling that with memory and with loss uh so uh, um cool thing is, uh, I have a academic background in molecular biology, so a lot of that comes through in the sci-fi uh, while still managing to be, I think deeply emotional and personal.
0: Yeah, I mean, re rereading the fifth issue, that that was one of the things that I get, that's that is one of the things that fascinates um, me about you, which is that you have a degree in mole- it was molecular and cellular biology, or mo- did I get that right? Yeah, that's what I went to school for. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it was like I could I, I wanted to nail it. But the Got thing it. that I that I find about your writing that is you know, because I mean we all have like sort of our stereotypes about like what big brains are like, right? And you know, you have that that degree and that understanding and that education, but in your writing it is very human and humane and there's a lot of like very um interesting and uh like really uh deep kind of like discussions about like what is going on with your characters and you know uh i guess i'm just always curious like how did god give you with both give to you with both hands you know what i mean like (laughs) that's that's very kind of you to say Mm -hmm. um I don't know. I because I ain't smart. I I was arguing. <laughs> I ran into somebody at the LA Comic Con, and they were like, Christian smart. He knows a lot about." I was like, "No, I am not smart. You are smart. You have a degree in molecular whatever it is. So I can't even remember what it is. I always have to just skip it." But anyway, go on. Um, oh man, you're giving me too much credit. Uh, well, I he's I blushing. Think... He's on camera. I'm not. He's <laughs> blushing right now. Uh,
1: the the reason that I I think. The reason that I think my stories are, are, are a little bit different in that way are, are because uh, I think I'm innately more like the creative type. Mm. Um, but because of my education, I was kind of thought to f- uh, taught to filter my thinking through a more like scientific and, and empirical and, and procedural lens. Yeah. So it's almost like you're taking like a ray gun of creativity and firing it through all of these different like lenses, these, you know, that like will redirect and, and like focus it in different areas. Um, And I think that's kind of what makes, makes my voice as a storyteller um, maybe different than what you might find on a regular basis is because I do approach story um, by breaking it down into all of its little constituent parts and and considering sort of how all of those things are integrated and um, working toward, uh, you know, developing the narrative or character or atmosphere or whatever. Um, But it's also like, I'm filtering like, all the emotional damage and like um that that sort of very human desire to express uh, ideas and and thoughts um through that. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's I think it's that's probably it, man. It's just I was trained to think like a scientist, but I'm naturally kind of an emotional dude uh, nice. who, who has baggage, you know yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. no, I mean, because that's sort of the thing that I want to come through, right? Like, I mean, you, you are very educated and you are educated in science and stuff like that. And I don't want people to think like, oh, you know, like, is this book like very dry? Is it very scientific? It's not. It's very, you know, there, there's a lot of like character depth. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of like cool stuff that happens in it. Um, it you are you don't get caught up, which I think it would be very, it might be very easy or my assumption would be, and you know what happens when we assume we make an ass out of you and me, but the assumption from s- someone like me might be like, Hey, this could be very dry material and it's not. Is that something that you had to fight against? Like when you were, when you're creating your book or like you said, are you just like, uh, you, you have uh, good access to your emotion and to your creativity and you can filter it through that lens.
1: Well, I, first of all I appreciate the kind words um <laughs> second, second uh, I, it's you know I, it I don't really have to think about it that much because I think you know when i when I come up with a story um it's it's it starts with like a feeling or a thought that I'm trying to express or even answer for myself right like I'm posing a question for sure um and eventually I just begin to think about what the tools of different genres or settings, uh, might be able to offer in order to begin poking at that question or 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 walking towards um, some type of an answer. Uh, so when it came to this story, and and you know, like I said last time, uh, it it the reason I went that sci-fi route was because everybody said to write what you know, and I spent way too much money uh, learning <laughs> science. Um, so I, I just kind of saw the science as a tool, uh, oh. as as just a you know something in the tool belt. Um, that that I can use to build, you know, a larger structure, which was this story. And inside of that story, you know, housed within it, it was was like just, you know, a sort of emotional conflict sure. for me personally that uh, that I wanted to broach. Sure. And so. Like, I mean, you have a very unique story.
0: Um, You know, I was reminded a lot of stuff uh, about a lot of stuff when I listened back to our interview. And, you know, like one of the ways that you got into comics, uh, like, or that inspired you to get into comics, right, was you were at a convention and it was, who was it again that you asked the question? It was CB, what? It was a panel with C.B. Cebulski and Chris Claremont. That's right. Oh, Chris Claremont. Okay, I missed that detail. But anyway, you asked a question and they invited you. Can you say that again? Cebulski? Well, which, however you pronounce it. I apologize to you, sir, if you're out there listening. Um, You know, they invited you to maybe join their editorial team and then the pandemic happened. But the thing that we didn't really discuss was... How did you like, I mean, we discussed a little bit how you were like, okay, I'm going to make my own comic because obviously the pandemic has screwed up any plans to be able to join Marvel comics for whatever reasons. Right. But, and you were like, okay, I'm going to make my own comic. But what were, what was some of the reading and education that you had to do for yourself as far as feeling that you could craft a story and make a comic, you know, because I, because my limit understanding of, of you is that, you know, you did all this studying and you, you studied, you know, science, this fields of science and, um, and, uh, we're not necessarily educated in the ways of like storytelling or crafting a story. Right. So once you decide to sort of make your own book, what did you seek out? Like, what did you, what did you look for? Were there any particular books that you read? Were there any particular, people that you sought out to teach you or, or did you take classes? Like, like, what did you use to, to, to give you the ability to tell the story that you've told?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think first of all, you know, I, I the, my first sort of approach was beginning to really begin to try and verbalize or break down the, the sort of what the people that I admired were doing and, and try to figure out how they were doing it and mm-hmm. why, like what, What were they doing that was contributing to my uh, emotional reaction to reading they were doing? Um, I always say, you know, study the people that do the thing that you want to do and do it well. Yeah. Um, And then around the time, um, actually, it's funny, uh, after that meeting in October, I I was still in school and I had declared a double major in English. Oh, Okay. uh, After that, so that I could begin to study because like... <laughs> not like no mincing words. I was so I, not that my mom sheltered me, but I didn't really have access to film or to like television or a lot of storytelling. Oh, so up. you I, weren't
0: like a latchkey kid like a lot of us, like going home and watching like different strokes reruns on, you know, or Buck yeah. Rogers or Battlestar Galactica.
1: Yeah, no, I my so like I had like 26 channels of cable. Okay. Uh, And, and we were, my mom was somewhat a a later adopter of internet. And when she did, it was so slow that if I wanted to watch like (laughs) a five to 10 minute video on YouTube, I would have to like queue it up, let it sit there for at least three minutes so that the buffering would move on far enough so that I could start it. Did you have that
0: modem noise (coughs) that the screeching
1: thing? The worst.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Anyway. Yeah, Yeah. So.
1: So yeah, uh, I had done that because I I wanted to get a little bit more formal of an understanding of like the the history of the craft and um, the minor sort of, in English, right? Uh,
0: that, actually, a that... double
1: major I had declared. Oh, a double major. Oh wait, yeah, so... yeah. So I I was I was studying my molecular biology degree and then. Oh, so it was that, a me. Okay, yeah, yeah. I understand yeah, now. Um, See, I'm I dumb. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna go, go home, man. Um, wow. And so uh, yeah, so I, I I did that and I had I had some great great professors along the way that really pushed me um but specifically to like learning a little bit more about the craft i picked up a couple books specifically on cinema because like mm. screenplay is the closest format you can get to comics sure sure right so um at um I think it was scott snyder's recommendation i picked up Sidfield's screenplay oh yeah that's a good book um and then I, I, somebody recommended it prior and then uh, Jonathan glapian had kind of reinforced getting the five C's of cinematography to kind of learn about uh uh-huh, uh-huh yeah visual elements um I have a book on direct oh it's shot by shot it's actually right here uh it's a directing book um and then uh I picked up uh, Alan Moore has like this really really tiny book on on writing comics um I got uh oh uh Stephen King's on writing hmm um, and then, you know, the the quintessential comic book craft texts in my mind by the genius Scott McCloud, uh, Understanding Comics, How to Make Comics. Gotcha. And further, some great books that have come out since then. Um, uh, Nate Pico's from Blambot made like the most, I think, legitimate and the lettering book, right? On lettering, yeah. yeah. It's sized. It's it's a great 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 collection yeah Uh, and then shelly bond um came out with a book on editing called filth and grammar which i haven't gotten to read yet oh
0: i have not i have not even heard of that yeah she took it to kickstarter man Uh, oh okay yeah i must i think i missed that kickstarter yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. but um so so those i've I've kind of skimmed through it a little bit haven't gotten time to read that but those are some great books on craft and uh you know i just kind of tried to pull in whatever i could whether it was from those texts or even from what i was learning um in the the sort of burgeoning uh english education you know from poetry and and uh studying the classics and, and kind of beginning to understand genre and drama and tension on on that level so um you know i and i always say like if you if you're not always learning you're doing something you know? sure so even now, man, like I'm studying the people who are currently producing that I admire, like folks like Ram V. Uh, has he's been a massive influence on me. Jeff Lemire, um, I just I I'm actually in the middle of reading Zoe Thorogood's um, autobiographical comic, It's the Center of the Earth, which is, like oh yeah brilliant. yeah I've heard of that I haven't read it yet though. Brilliant man, the way, the way she's using, like visual design and uh palette and and the texture of her lines like it's bonkers it's just atmospheric it's it's kind of like eclectic but but like intentionally so Uh Uh, and it makes all of the more emotional uh beats like that much more great stuff um so yeah you know i'm always studying the people um are either better than me at things that i consider well or particularly good at, um, elements to the craft that I think that I'm, I might lack in, you know?
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So no, I mean, that's great stuff. And, but with the English major, was that with the intent of getting into comics or was that just into writing in general?
1: I mean, I think it's good to be able to, um, I think it's, it's good to, to be able to, to write, you know, in, in various different forms of, 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 uh, of literature, but, um, I never would have done it if I hadn't had that interaction with CB, you mm. know, when that happened, I was just like, oh man, like maybe, maybe I, I could have a future in this. And if I want to pursue it, I, I want to be great. Uh, and I want to be aware of, of what sort of tools I have at my disposal in order to pursue that. So, um, you know, it, 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 it I, I, i Despite my focus being in comics, yeah, I mean, I've dabbled in a couple places. Uh, I've dabbled in screenplay, in poetry and prose. Um, I've had uh, a novella sort of on a shelf with a <laughs> publisher that's kind of been, you know, super hot and cold. Um, and and I've had poetry published. Um, so I, you know, yeah, I, I think all of that informs um, everything else to a degree. But I think for me, comics are are. Are particularly special and comics are something that I think, regardless of what I'm at, uh, where I'm at in life or something that I'm going to want to always be involved in no matter what. Sure, sure.
0: Well, you're doing what creative people do, right? You don't just stick to one thing. You do tons of things like as they hit you, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. exactly yeah yeah so i mean with area 51 you've been doing this for a while and this is going to be like the final issue right like it was only supposed to go six issues correct
1: yeah yeah this is the the finale
0: and how are you feeling about that i mean is the book done is it finished like i mean i'm sure you've written it and it's illustrated and everything how is it is it completely like in the can and ready to go
1: so um we are wrapping the last couple pages of colors um okay cool last four or five pages oh. uh, and it'll go off to letters um and that's that's it man i've i've already done all like the the sort of covered dressings um for all the covers and uh, i've done the interior cover designs as well um so yeah, that's really all that's left to do, and 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 then compile everything into a PDF. And wow, how do you feel yeah. about that? I'm stoked, man. Like I, you know, I thought I would be petrified coming to the end of my first story. Yeah. Uh, but I'm actually really excited. Uh, why would you be
0: petrified? What 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 is scary about finishing it? I would imagine maybe relieved or kind of like depressed or something like that. <laughs> but but
1: why petrified? Well, I think a lot of uh, first of all, I think a lot of people don't know how to end stories well. Um, okay, e- even the people that I admire, yeah, yeah. Uh, even a couple guys that I admire like weave these fantastic stories and don't quite know how to stick the landing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, we could say a couple, maybe one of the books on writing that you read. I, I won't say who, but anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, aside from that, you know, it, it was my first time doing it, yeah, you know, um, so I think uh i don't know Uh, i would have expected myself to be more afraid uh coming to the end of the story but i really do think that the skill and the confidence that i've gained from the beginning up until now have really been like a weapon for me to 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 attack that monster with Mm. Uh, and i feel good about it man and i feel good about also the growth of my collaborators and what we've been able to do and um Yeah, I mean, I I feel very confident about this ending. Uh, Uh I think, you know, uh, I think, you know, when I started this series, I felt like a a solid writer, um, uh, particularly a solid new writer. And I'm walking out of this series, like, to be completely honest, feeling like I can compete with almost anybody whose books are on the shelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I think that, like I said, that confidence and and just kind of – a I think we had alluded to this or maybe even talked about it in depth prior, but allowing these characters to live beyond me and to exist beyond me and what I want for them, I think ultimately, uh, allowed them to write their own ending. You know, the, the stress was kind of off of my shoulders because, uh, I knew, you know, based on their behaviors and how they've thought, you know, for the past five issues and how they've acted for the past five issues, what needed to happen for them to, uh, get to the end of their stories. Sure. Sure.
0: Sure. So would you say you were more afraid in the beginning or as you ended it? Like what, what did you, I mean, because the thing for me, you know, saying like, you're afraid of the ending, but you know, you can write the ending, you can change the ending. You could show it to people. You can, you know what I'm saying? Like, so for me, it's like, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about authors who are like who who kind of screw up the ending, but you know before it's done, you can always you know sh- craft it or shape it or show it to other people and be like, what do you think and stuff like that. Um, but when you're starting something, that must be even more terrifying, right? Especially going out to Kickstarter, right?
1: Yeah, I mean th- there was no point more terrifying than than when I was bringing that first book out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. When it it came to this last one, like I said, I think from a distance it was terrifying. Yeah, You know, when I was like on issue one and issue two and the ending was just kind of the bud of an idea. Yeah. um, Or, you know, really just like a a vague sort of skeleton within an outline. Yeah. Uh, I think that's when it was most petrifying. Mm -hmm. By the time I think I, I got to between issue four and issue five. I was just like, okay, like I've known where this is needed to go for a while. Uh, These characters have only confirmed it, and then, you know, really, it came down to ironing out how we wanted to deliver it visually with Sam. Um, And frankly, uh, I think the last page of the of the series, the last page of issue six, is one of my favorite pages we've ever done. Nice. I think it is a, a solid poetic ending um this this issue is 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 just like super raw and i think allowing that to happen also made it easier once the time came you know it became a lot less sort of cerebral sure in a way and it was just like we've built this up we've we've kind of pushed ourselves into like the main crux of the conflict and now we can kind of just watch this chain reaction happen Mm. um and, and I think what comes out of it is just like this super raw and emotionally visceral story about a, a father and a son, you know?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me ask you what may or may not be a difficult question. What's a good ending? One cut, co- what constitutes a good ending? What are some of the endings in fiction or movies or whatever you've seen that you've been like, nice,
1: nailed it. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, let me think here. Um, I, I okay. I, so I'm literally like looking across at bookshelves, um, reaching. Well, an for... easier question may be like,
0: "What's a crap? What What is an ending that disappointed you?" Then, that may be an easier question because sometimes the bad stuff sticks out, to, or the stuff that disappointed us sticks out more um, than the stuff that we really relished. Right?
1: Yeah, I mean, not that it's a actually okay. I, hmm, uh, so not that it's a bad ending, but it's something that kind of. Fails to commit a little bit. And I think it's a fantastic film. One of my favorite movies of all time called Children of Men. Okay. Um, the end of that movie was so close to being perfect. Yeah. Um, And if they had cut that movie like 10 seconds shorter, like if they had cut 10 seconds uh-huh. off the end of that movie, I think it would have been kind of perfect.
0: Yeah. Uh, have you seen it before? Uh, oh, I've seen it. But it, I saw it in the theater, but a very long time ago. I don't think I've seen it in a very long time. So I'd have to revisit it.
1: So you remember spoilers for a movie that's like over a decade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, You remember when the the last pregnant woman on earth is like waiting for the boat? Yeah, kind of. Um, Like at the end of the movie, you know she's safe. Like you know everything worked out well, and there was something like about that movie that was so uncomfortable that I really kind of wanted like the faint inclination that maybe there was a light in the distance, and then we cut to black. Uh That's what I want. Okay. Um, I felt like that was, that would have been a lot more in keeping with like the overall tone and atmosphere and the trajectory that that movie was sort of building upon. Mm. Um, and like, this isn't a major disc cause it's still a, a solid ending. Like I, I think that's a, one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Sure. I adore that movie. Um, but that was something that I think didn't quite pull its punches or, or excuse me, pulled its punches a little bit at the end to make people feel comfortable. Sure. And that movie was so uncomfortable that I think that the, that what it should have offered us was a little bit of like, not necessarily mystery, uh, but a little bit of ambiguity. Uh uh Uh, Like for you to almost sort of decide how it ended in that sort of killing joke kind of way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's very interesting that you say that because I sort of did a guest spot on uh, another podcast called Fanbase Press about 28 days later. Right. And I remember the ending of that movie when I first saw it in the theater, kind of like, I, it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Like I love 28 Days Later. Like I can, I've seen it several times. I, I love it. The first time I saw it in the theater, it just blew my mind. I was like, this is amazing. Zombies running. I can't handle it. No. Um, but I remember the ending is a bit of, is on an up note, right? And when I first saw it in the theater, I was like, uh, because I, I do like downer endings. I'm, I'm very much like, okay, like if it's sad and depressing, I'm, I'm cool with that. I don't need everything to be sad and depressing, but I'm cool with it. But re-watching it now, the age that I am now, older and having kids and stuff like that, um, looking at it through a different lens, I was so much like, oh, it had to be this way. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's just no way you could end it otherwise because then it is not, if you've ended it any other way, a downer way, then it's a. it would be a complete betrayal of like what the lead character has kind of been saying and is all about during the whole movie. So it's interesting how time can change the way you see endings, but I totally understand what you're saying about Children of Man. I need to rewatch it because it is an excellent movie. I have not so, seen it in ages though.
1: Uh, I adore that movie, man. I, saw, I just saw it like... I mean, less less than a year ago. It's phenomenal. It's nice. so good. Nice. Um, but in terms of something that I think is just a straight not good ending. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, full disclaimer, this person um, inspired me to, I mean, like, begin reading comics on a regular basis.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: I adore this person uh, every time. I- <laughs> you don't have to quantify
0: you're not liking something, I'm but I understand.
1: Yeah, but for whatever reason, sometimes like when you have a criticism about somebody's work, there's sure. always that very vocal contingent of people that are like, oh, this guy just like shat all over you. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I, I adore this person. I adore what they do. They, they're they an inspiration to me. But like they just wrote an ending that I think is particularly not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's uh, Batman The Last Night on Earth from Scott Snyder. OK,
0: I have not read that one. I have not read that one.
1: I think that the first issue was is fantastic. The second issue was is met, and the third issue made me really angry. Oh really? Uh, yeah, it's just the the ending.
0: Uh oh, here the come end- the Scott Snyder I, fans. Uh oh, there's a lot I, of them, Trevor.
1: <laughs> listen, listen, bro. I've got a cordoval's tattoo on my bicep. <laughs> so, yeah. Like I love Scott. I love everything. I love a lot of what he's done. But yeah. Uh, I think the without spoiling it for anyone that hasn't read it, the, the thing that killed me about that ending was that it was ultimately like the the biggest, I think, instance of every complaint that anyone's ever had about a Scott Snyder ending in that it felt very deus ex machina. Uh, uh, uh. that it, like everything just kind of happens just because. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunate because. I remember reading the first issue to that and, like, just being like, oh, man, like this, like, he's actually going to do his magnum opus. Yeah. This is is unfolding uh, right out in front of me. And then the second one came out and it was just really slow. And I was like, all right, well, these are double sized issues. He has the space to maybe pick up the pace again. And then that last one was just like a shit show. Oh, (laughs) no. um, Although I will say that's like probably Capullo and and Galapian like, at at their best. Like, sure. the, The was fantastic. Well,
0: I would imagine um, Scott Snyder's, you know, something bad Scott Snyder does is better than 98% of the rest of the stuff that's
1: out there. Right. Maybe. I mean, I thought it was pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. But, he had a misstep. He had a misstep. But then, cr- credit to him, man, because honestly, all the, a lot of this indie stuff he's been doing since he left, D- left DC, I think is like some of the most consistently solid stuff he's written um ever. Like yeah. I just think we're in this period of his career. Uh, where he is just like writing banger after banger. Uh, so, you know, all credit to him, man.
0: That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's good to admit. So, you know, it's good to look at something with a critical eye. And, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, I get uh, I get called out for knocking things down a lot, you know, by my friends and stuff like that. But I think the critics are important. They're the ones that go like, hey, guys, like maybe this isn't as great as, ever. you know, don't have to... Yeah trash anything but it's good to look at something with a critical eye especially for somebody like you who's developing stories of their own and wants to avoid like sort of pitfalls and stuff like that um how many drafts did it get you to be happy with the ending of like area 51 one just one draft Uh oh here come the scott snyder fans (laughs) you're just like what and done bam landed it nailed it really and do you do you show it to anyone like who are your trusted allies like in as far as like writing is concerned like are you like were you like you you know i was just gonna say typewriter that's how old i am like you hit the the final key on the keyboard and you're like done and you were like perfect smoke a cigarette i'm ready to go like like uh, how do you like know that you're done like at the end when you're just like this is it this is the final i don't need to do anything else
1: i i just think it was a uh, an instinct man Uh because the only people that know how it ends are the people that are working on the book okay Um, so you don't show it to like anyone
0: you don't have a a significant other or a good friend or or writing pals that you're like, hey, take a look at this. What do you think?
1: No, I mean, so when it comes to like my friends reading it, I really want them to get like the full effect of reading the finished work. Sure. Um, but there's so- not one, dude. There's not one. No, no, very, really? I like yeah, I'm very anti having them read my scripts. Um,
0: okay. Well, it's also getting them to read them, right? It's like your friends are your friends and they're wonderful people, but you know, sometimes you show people stuff and it's like they don't, they take forever to read it, right?
1: Yeah. Believe it or not, I think, I mean, a lot of them have been very keen. Like a lot of them are like, oh, so what happens? And I'm like, I'm, you, you're just going to have to read it. Like, <laughs> like I. I like I said, I'm very Did they seriously a, think they would get get
0: the answer like that. You would give it to
1: them. Well, I think I think like a lot of times I've been like, so can I like can I read can I read like the script? And I was like, no, <laughs> like you, you have to you need the full experience. Like I yeah. want you to sit down, either have the comic on your computer or in your hands. And I want you to flip through the books and I want you to feel the gut check of the page turn. um I want you to get to that last page and go, what the you know um uh, so i the, frankly like i haven't up until a couple months ago i haven't really started socializing within like the creative community okay but you go to a lot of cons right i do yeah yeah i i wasn't like the most social with with other people at the show for a while um i think why is that trevor what 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 what, are, what what is that all about i i i mean i think i was just so objective driven you know i'm like okay I'm and get this in front of their hands and um yeah you know recently that's definitely been opening up a little bit but even then I don't know if I would be like hey can you give me this like some notes on the script before I send it to art I think um sure I I don't I just what about it's... your artists like you don't oh, go like sure. hey what do you They definitely read it and go through it and I get their thoughts on it for Okay. Sure. Oh, that's good. Um but I think there's also an element of of especially I don't know like the, just the, the growth that I feel like I've I've seen in myself from issue one to issue six is like I just feel confident that I did the right thing and that 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 I gave these characters what they needed, you know. Yeah. I think I think honestly, if I were to ask for advice from anybody that wasn't like an editor that I hired, uh-huh. uh, it would it would just be like, hey, like does this dialogue work, you know? Sure. Uh, but I I feel very confident about about where I went with the story now. Like, in, in retrospect, just being a much better writer than I was when it started, yeah, there are, like, small things that I would change about those first couple issues, um, whether it would be writing or art. Um, but by the time I got to that sixth issue, I was like, this is it. It just feels right. And and I'm the last person to kind of, like, make the assumption that something is, is, is good. Like, I'm the first person to tear something down that I've done. Okay letting it have that. And so there was something about that, the the ease of which I was like, oh, it's over. Um, That makes me feel really confident that it that it ended well. You know what I mean? Sure,
0: sure, sure. Oh, wow. And so there, there were really no feelings. Like when you finish that last script, there was no downer feeling or anything like that, because I know sometimes when I do a big project and I'm like done or even like a a thing that I've been working on or whatever, even my own like little comic the first issue at the end it's like oh okay like i did that like it's over like no pangs of like anything
1: no honestly i think part of it is is that like between the beginning and the end of that story so many different ideas bloom for so many new stories and concepts and at that point i'm like oh man like i feel like a a a raven like looking for the next shiny coin you know like um, and part of it is also like, I mean, I like I said, I've always felt pretty good about it, but now all I can think about is like starting these new stories and I'm like, oh, the the skill set that I have now is, is so much more evolved than it was when I started the Helix project where I'm like, man, if I'm this confident about how that story developed and how much better it got and how much better I got over the course of that story, I'm starting at a much higher level now. So all I can think about is like, oh man, like I, I get to start at the level that I that I evolved into last time and I can kind of keep doing that and keep telling better stories. So maybe it's just like a youthful eagerness, but all I do now is like look forward to like how how can I, you know, take everything I've learned and, and put that to work for, sure. for the Sure.
0: And so there were never any temptations to be like Area 51. I'm going to expand the universe. I'm going to do spinoffs. I want to do because I mean, you've been successful on Kickstarter with this. Like what was there any ever any temptation or is that what's coming? Like, did I just break something open? Are you doing spinoffs? Are you doing things based off of this universe? No,
1: I really, you know, I I think that one of the biggest issues with Um, up and coming writers or that they begin to think about like a massive universe before they think about the story. Uh And for me, you know, story and character come first. So until I come up with a a solid, fully fleshed out idea that is as good as if not better than where I left off, I don't want to I don't want to diminish, you know, the, the sort of legacy of the story. Um, and I don't want to diminish the, the journey that these characters went on. I mean, I've certainly like over the last, you know, I guess it's been two years now. Um, since I, I first published the, the issue number one, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me about continuing forward with this, this space, this world. And, and certainly the inklings of ideas have, have popped up over the course of that time, but, you know as of right now if i never did another story in this particular space in this universe with these characters i'd be okay with that um hmm. cuz i feel good about the ending and for me to unearth you know these characters i think it would have to be something really really special so i'm kind of giving such a non answer you know like if i <laughs> no if i mean that's pretty I, definitive you know yeah i mean i feel like if i had a great story that made sense that that was additive um to these characters journeys, I would definitely do it. Um, but not, not just for the money or the brand association, you know, and, and yeah, that's, that's really it, man. I think a lot of, a lot of guys, um, and and gals have have done stories that, um, they, they tried to revive it past its shelf life Mm. uh, because it was successful or, or semi successful and they ended up doing damage to the overall sort of picture. Uh, and I, I really don't want to do that. Sure. 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 Understood.
0: Understood. No, I mean, uh, that's admirable of you. I mean, I think that have you ever been approached for by a publisher to sort of like have this published at a, you know, at a publishing house, you know, whatever, like dark horse image, anything like that.
1: Um, nothing as big as dark horse or image. Uh, but certainly I've had publishers, um, smaller indie publishers that were interested in in bringing it on and even expanding it. And, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't very interested in it. Um, oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. Just after having conversations with a couple people, I, I what's the best way to put this? Um, I just, there was nothing in the conversation that made me confident in in their in their vision. You know? Sure. Sure. Um, and for me, I certainly there will be times in my career where I'm going to have to compromise a little bit, but if, if I feel confident that I don't have to compromise the, the creative vision of the story, um, then I won't, you yeah. know, if I don't think that, that it has, that, that, that compromise has something to offer me, um, and, and my career and, and the trajectory of that. then uh, I don't really want to have to do it. Cause I feel good about this story. I feel good about where we left it off. Um, and, and certainly, you know, after, I think there's something, there's been something really special about like the last, 15, 20 years where, um, creators have been advocating for ownership and, and making sure that you always sort of have, um, a finger on the pulse of the things that you're creating. That's, that's also sort of an element that, that comes into mind when people are interested in picking it up and, and, and publishing it is, you know, I, I, I want a bigger piece of the pie than some of these entities want to give me. Yeah. 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 and I, you know I I can understand like i'm I'm a new voice in the industry this is my first project um but for better or for worse there's something to that that confidence that aforementioned confidence that I've built over the last two years where I'm like you know I think this evolved into a great story and it's something that would translate well to other media and if I feel that confident about it why would I give somebody you know such a big piece of the pie
0: yeah yeah I mean that's a conversation that I've had with a lot of um, Indie creators, not off the podcast, like off the air, too. I mean, some of them have been, have talked about it in interviews with me, but the one big thing that I'm seeing as far as like indie small publishers that's happening is they tend to be sort of like IP farms and they want like a really big piece of the pie, and you're still paying for a lot of the publishing costs and stuff like that. And, and, uh, it's like, what is the, sort of benefit of me signing up with you. You know what I mean? And for some people it's like, you know, getting into previews and getting into comic shops and stuff like that may be a little easier, but even that for a small publisher is, can be daunting, right? Because I mean, there are several comic shops in my area and I don't see like, I won't say which publishers, but I don't see some of these like smaller publishers books on the
1: shelves. Right? Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's weird. I find, and, and you certainly see it at bigger publishers too, but like, I think that a lot of publishers are very concentrated on, um, stale takes and stale ideas that are, are really just doing nothing more than contributing to the cycle of the industry. Mm. Um, and if I were to give an entity, a piece of, 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 a creative pie that I've baked, uh, and that I feel confident about and that I love, Um, It's got to be a publisher that I I think is doing something different um, and is is ultimately kind of pushing for an industry that I want and that I believe in. You know, like, yeah, if if the Wassell brothers approached me from Vault Comics to do something, I would probably do it because I believe in what they're doing and their direction for sort of more personal and genre based storytelling. Um, And I'm not going to I'm not going to name drop a publisher that I wouldn't do that for. Sure, of course you know, certainly I hope that illustrates the point is like, you know, I want to, I want to be part of the, the change that I want to see in the industry, um, that allowed the types of stories that I, that I believe in. Um, and, well, what, and so, what is the
0: change that you want to see in the industry? Because I know what I think, and I know the opinion that I have, and I, I don't even know whether it's possible in this market to see what I want, but what are some of the things that you would like to see? Because I mean, it is, it is, it can be a tough haul, like the Kickstarter and going to conventions and doing all that and stuff like that. Like, you know, is the indie creator's goal to like create their own book, then go to Marvel or DC or whatever, work on their characters, build up a, a following that way and then go back to indie and stuff like, is that the sort of treadmill that everyone has to run? You know what I'm saying? Um, like but that that sort of seems to be the way it's been going for a while right like you you toil in an unknown you know as an unknown marvel or dc picks you up you get to write batman or spider-man or whatever the hell it is then you become big and then you go back to like doing your like own indie books and that's kind of where you become kind of profitable but that doesn't seem to me like that's what you want to do or where you want to go. So what is this sort of change that you would like to see? Or what, what do you think is a perfect comics market? Does it exist uh, now?
1: Well, I, so I think that one of the, one of the issues with the American market is that they have no idea how to, how to, how to literally, um, market their fucking product. Sure. Um, I mean, you have these larger entities that have probably the most globally recognized brands, uh, in the world. um, so, you know, the the fact that you can go to a uh, an impoverished, you know, com- country all the way around the world and wear a Superman shirt and a young child's going to understand what that means, and and the fact that like a Superman comic, you know, on average can't sell more than forty thousand copies, I think is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and it's failing on these larger entities to make the books accessible, to make them interesting. Uh, and to get them out in the hands of the people that want them because people want them. I mean we j- we've just gone through over a decade of uh Marvel movies absolutely dominating the box office. Yeah. And if you look at the merchandising numbers that they bring in, it's just it's even more sort of like flabbergasting, you know? Yeah. So I think a big part of it is making it accessible um particularly in a world where so much is digital, the fact that they're basically not using digital comics as like a, a cheap marketing device. The fact that like you get out of the end of these movies and, you know, you might get like this thank you page for creators, but you're not like read the stories that inspired this movie, mm. go check out, you know, if for example, we're talking about black Adam, like go check out. Let's not black talk about Adam. black Adam, but anyway, go ahead. Go <laughs> yeah, ahead. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, I mean, not sure. That, sure. I, that was not a particularly good movie, but um, you know, the fact that the end of that movie wasn't like, Check out, you know, the yeah. Black Adam mini. Like, That's an interesting Masi point. Monk. Here's a QR code to download the first issue digitally. Like that is a shame. Yeah. Um, we could also talk about how, in the market of entertainment, comics are not cost effective, and we need to find ways to make that happen. Um, but I think another element is that comics are aren't like American comics aren't aren't ubiquitous enough you know you go to japan yeah you have successful manga about tennis you have successful manga about yeah. cooking yeah you don't have that in the american market yeah for whatever reason you though know, we invented comics like yeah. america like comics are an america are one of the few things that like um excuse me american america can claim yeah i think we're being outdone everywhere like japan has the ubiquity and the sales numbers france and italy have like the the art house comic market that are doing like these cool weird avant-garde things. And so like what, we have superheroes. That's our our claim to fame, which is fine. Like we love superheroes. Like the comics don't exist without them, and I'm not going to say that like you know, it, it would be disingenuous of me to say that like if if Marvel offered me Daredevil that I wouldn't like sure, of drop course. Everything right now to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like so like uh, there there are issues with again that accessibility and that lack of ubiquity. You you you, the marketing is just not there, which is surprising because you have these incredibly massive entities with the experience and the 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 capital to make that happen. Um, So, yeah, I, I think I not to be like a doomsday sort of subscriber, but I question if this can even happen anymore. Because mm. now there's so much competition for our entertainment, whether it's streaming, um, you know, whether it's video games, our phones, social media, whereas like manga already firmly ingrained itself within Japanese culture and, and you know, other sort of uh, regions in the world, like well before the Internet was a thing. Yeah. You know, so I wonder whether the barrier to entry is just too high now. Um, the only thing yeah. I can say, uh, or the, my only sort of, the only thing I could surmise that would begin to bring comics up are, are having that variety, making them sort of more accessible and finding ways to market them with other sort of entertainment, uh, spheres of entertainment. Yeah. Uh, like the fact that we don't use comics as, as, uh, an educational tool more often, given that they, they have. The unique ability to combine sort of textual information and visual context is a shame. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's great to get kids to read. So that's what I taught my daughter to read with. was comics. So, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, not to be a, a doomsayer either, but yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on the market and just my limited experience and seeing other friends go through it or creators on this podcast. And I'm just like, okay. Where is this all going? you know what I mean like where is this all going and it just seems to me to to feed the beast you know feed feed the the beast that is movies and TV and stuff like that and that uh, comics as a medium in and of themselves are not taken seriously or you know by a large majority of the population and I don't know in this I don't know if it's too late to change that in this country because we've had people talking about that for years and years and years you know what I mean and I'm just like, you know, like a lot of people point to the Marvel movies and stuff like that. But I'm like, those are movies. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's different. And there's market, huge marketing budgets behind that. And there's huge PR campaigns behind that. And it is a huge product that costs like, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Like that's, that's a whole other beast. And that doesn't always translate to comic book sales, particularly comic book sales of like indie or interesting books that
1: aren't necessarily superheroes right yeah i I mean the 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 thing is is i think is one of the biggest issues that we have i think just with the the size of our global population are are that we've grown accustomed to like brands of entertainment as comfort food yeah like i was just at fan expo new orleans i just got back on monday Mm -hmm. and uh everybody and their mom was there for um I think his name is Joseph Quinn. He was in Stranger Things. He did like the, okay. him playing a Metallica song while getting attacked by like demons. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Sure, sure, sure. Viral, and everybody was there for this guy. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, yeah. everybody. Everybody had just, yeah. like, Stranger Things cosplays or T-shirts. Um, and then, you know, I kind of realized that I was like, I was like, man, this crowd is not here for me. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do not. One, they probably don't really want comics, but two, yeah. um, they don't want original concepts, and so, which is kind of flabbergasting because I don't think most people realize that at one point, yeah, like Stranger Things was an original concept. You yeah, know what I mean, of a big brand. Um, so I think a big issue is is the marketing in comics, uh because there, I think there's certainly the content. Like, the, you know, despite maybe my disapproval with big two storytelling in a general sense as of the last couple years, uh, there's a lot of great, great work on the market um, that I, I just don't think we know how to put in front of the right people yeah. uh, that are not already reading it. Because what happens is when you get into like indie comics is, is that you lose the infrastructure. Um, and, and so the people that sort of have to get behind it, are creatives, right? Yeah. Who are, are more fo- focused on telling their stories which um I'm not really reading much of this stuff but I think uh, if anybody's going to kind of move and shake in that avenue is Kyle Higgins. Okay. Uh I think a lot of what he's doing with like the massive verse stuff um and like finding ways to make it immersive like he's doing like a true crime podcast with one of his new characters that interacts with the book or something. Oh,
0: interesting. Uh, I think
1: that's I think it's excuse my French, I think it's fucking brilliant. Like, yeah. Um, and I say that as somebody who's not like particularly a fan of the radiant black stuff, uh-huh.
0: um,
1: but like he's doing stuff. He's trying new things. He's, he's finding or searching for ways to bring people in that might not already be reading comics. Um, and that's, that's huge, man. Like yeah. if, if honestly, if I were able to talk to anybody in the industry about the sort of business side of things right now, it'd be him. Interesting. 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 Wow. Cool. So will your next project be like a Kickstarter thing? Do you think? Yeah, man. So my, my next project is actually, we're already working on it now. Actually, nice. we start art tomorrow. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's exciting. So yeah, it's a, um, it's an anthology. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm doing an anthology. Uh, every story is written by me. Um, but, uh, we have a different artist, uh, and, and sort of pairing of collaborators for every story, a bunch of different genres, Um, I think for me, uh, I had all these like little ideas and I have some bigger ideas, but I had all these little ideas that kind of came out while I was making the Helix project. And I was like, I don't know if these have the legs to be series, but they're like, they're solid ideas. And I think they were good little stories. And, um, I figured, you know what, like being able to kind of one, like show off my versatility and two, Ah, uh, widen my network by working with more artists. Kind of gave me this unique ability to potentially help prevent typecasting uh, mm. as a creative. Oh, and cool. two, um I think it just it it kind of really bulks up my body of work. You know, because sure, now I course. go from one six issue series to having a six issue series, and then you know another six or seven stories uh, of of different types with different types of people. I think. Um, it, so aside from being like a really good resume builder, uh, it's going to be deeply satisfying on a creative level. Cause I get to try so many different things.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So last, uh, the last interview we did, you were planning on going to a convention. I don't know exactly when, and you were gonna, you might've run into like CB Sibulski, C- at the convention and might've been giving him like your stuff. Did that ever happen?
1: So it, it happened later than I wanted it to. Okay. But it, it did happen. So you're able to give him some of your stuff. It did happen in New York. Yeah. I nice. actually, it was funny. I, um, the first like two days of New York comic con, I was like miserable because I was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to like go crazy. Cause I'm here on a professional capacity. <laughs> um, it, it, like, Bro, I was miserable the first two days of the So what convention. you're saying is you need alcohol to feel good. Is that what you're saying? Right. So, <laughs> oh no. And that Friday, um, I just I'm with my like one of my best friends, and I was like, dude, we're in New York City. Like, how often do we really get out to be here? Like, let's just have a good time. And next thing you know, we're up till like five in the morning getting sloshed in Hill's kitchen. Oh my god. And we wake up Saturday morning and he turns to me and he's like you look like you're feeling pretty good. I was like, yeah. I was like, this is the best I've felt all week. Like, uh. <laughs> can I tell you? And so, point is, is that day is the day that I talked to CB sibolsky and I just kind of like went up to him, guns blazing. I was nice. just, like, I don't know if you remember me, but you offered me a job, you know, almost three years ago when I had absolutely no experience, and a lot of passion, and I've I've come out and in. And on, on my own, I've curated a team of people and made an incredibly professional book, only gotten better. And I was just like, you know, you need people like me. I was like very, um, sure to have several cups of coffee that morning. So I was in it. So what happened? Um, I mean, that remains to be seen, but, um, we, we had a, a small conversation. I mean, he's a busy guy. Sure and uh sent him some stuff and, and we've had a little bit of correspondence since then but i think the trick of it is also um just kind not waiting on it you know sure like uh he's a busy guy and 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 you know i hope the correspondence continues uh-huh. as it has but uh you know that's not going to stop me from from creating and making things no you know? no that's good um, so but it was a it was a it was a funny conversation because he's like oh what would you want to do I was like well in an ideal world I'd I'd give you you know I'd be one of those guys that that cuts his teeth on Daredevil but I was like you could, <laughs> but I was like you could give me Stiltman and I would turn out you know an Eisner level story sure uh, nice and and maybe that's overconfidence to say that but um, he asked me why and and you know I just gave him my sort of philosophy that like bad characters don't exist only bad writers oh uh, uh, okay Give me anything you want. And if, you know, if I can, if I can fix together the time to do it, I can give you a good story. It doesn't matter what character. Nice. You.
0: Well, Trevor Fernandez linkevich CB Sobolsky stalker. And, <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> that's it's so great. I mean, congratulations on finishing your book and getting the last Kickstarter up. I, I hope by the time this interview airs, it will have funded and you don't even need this interview for people to hear this interview, but I appreciate you coming back. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off?
1: Um, uh, I mean, I, I'm grateful to be here, Christian. I'm grateful that that you've had me on and decided to let me ramble. Of course. Um,
0: you're always perfect. welcome. You know that.
1: Yeah, man. Um, it's, you know, I hope if anything takes, anybody takes anything away from this, Um, one, I think it it would be interesting for somebody to listen to that first one and come to this one and, and maybe see if there's a difference in my demeanor, but (laughs) I I think there is. And I think if anything, it shows like, man, like the last six months since we've spoken, I've done nothing but grow more and more passionate for what I do. And and, that's great. And in wanting to become better. and, And despite my, you know, again, my, uh, considerable amount of confidence that some might consider too much. Um, it, it keeps me hungry to continue, uh, growing. Cause I mean, I don't know if I mentioned it on the last one, but like, I, I want to become one of those generational talents that inspire yeah. the people behind me. And I'm not saying I'm there yet. I'm nowhere close, but, um, you know, that is a lofty goal that I will always continue climbing toward. And I, I don't say that because of the, the accolades that come with it. I say that because it means that I'm the best at what I do when you're a storyteller you know you're weaving something together that ultimately gives you cause to connect with other people um so i i think that's really significant and to be able to do that in comics um with you know a team of, of incredibly talented artists is a privilege and a pleasure uh and something that i relish in you know uh so i i hope people take that away and 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 know that if if they're thinking about checking out my work or even if they're like fuck that guy, he seems like an asshole. (laughs) You definitely
0: do not seem like that. I mean, anyone who has a double major in molecular and cellular biology and English is okay by me and has the passion that you have. So uh, I hope that you do develop into one of those generational talents and that you remember me when you do become like Alan Moore or (laughs) whatever it is that you want to become. (laughs) Maybe not as crazy as Alan Moore, but... (laughs)
1: He's we, the GOAT, man. Oh, GOAT.
0: are you? Dude, we could talk about Alan Moore all day long. Like, I love Alan Moore. I've I've not read everything he's done, but the stuff that I have read, I've just been like, Jesus Christ. Impressive. Yeah. Impressive. Could totally but, do an, an Alan Moore episode. <laughs> we days. could if you wanted to. I'd have to read like Lost Girls and a bunch of like the old stuff. Um, but yeah, there's stuff that I haven't read, but the thing that, and I, will just say this, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying this about Alan Moore, um, uh, that I feel like every Alan Moore book I've ever read has been written by a different person. So that to me is just like astounding. Like, like there's yeah. so many writers that you read and you're like, okay, this guy's got their style and that's cool. And I like it and you know, that's fine. But when I read a different and it blows me away every time that it feels like it's written by a different person every time. And it's a different kind of tone and a different story. And I'm just like, either this guy has multiple personalities that he shifts to when he's writing different books or something's going on there. I I'm just always impressed with him.
1: That, that Yeah. You, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. Like cool. that's something that I, I certainly strive for is having that ability to play in whatever playground I damn well please. And, and that's, that's very, very unique. It, it, and I mean, I could go on and on and end up turning my interview into the Alan Moore <laughs> the, the Alan Moore show. But it is not the Alan Moore show.
0: It is not the Alan Moore show. It is part-time fanboy. You are Trevor Fernan- uh, Trevor Fernandez Lenkevich. I screwed up the Fernandez. How did I do that? It's the Lenkevich that's supposed to be hard. Trevor Fernandez Lenkevich, uh, your project is Area 51, the Helix project um it is on kickstarter now the sixth and final issue uh thank you so much for coming
1: on man it's always great to chat with you it's a privilege to be here uh thank you for for helping me get through the week by having conversation brother (laughs) well there
0: we go trevor fernandez lenkevich i love the name nailed it bam all right my name is christian horn this is the part-time fanboy podcast um Thank you for listening. You can check us out on parttimefanboy.com. Um, I am still on Facebook and Instagram, but not Twitter. Our email is ptf at parttimefanboy.com. Uh, thank you for listening. Please go check out Trevor's book, Area 51 The Helix Project, on Kickstarter now. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will be back soon with another episode. Bye.
1: Part time fanboy.